0: so sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode. Woo! <laughs> Dang, that gets me every time. Awesome intro. Um, welcome fellow vets. Welcome veteran coach Rob Nichols. Good to have you here, brother. Love the love the VACI branded polo, man. We got like yin and yang here, red and blue and white. We're kind of representing the country right now as we're in a, a dead heat in the election. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but... Um, again, welcome, fellow vets. Thanks for thanks for jamming with us today. We've got an incredible topic. Um, we're talking about digestive system VA claims, so um, things like GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. We'll talk about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. We'll talk a little bit about hiatal hernias and some of the analogous uh, ratings for GERD and how all those things kind of work. Um, but I want to take a second here and welcome again, fellow Air Force disabled veteran, now veteran coach, Rob Nichols.
1: What's up, Rockstars? So um, just to give you a little bit about myself, um, I was actually in the Air Force. I joined in 01. I got out in 05 on a medical discharge. Um, I did serve in Iraq. I was a fuels technician, did a couple other jobs while I was going through my medical board as well. and then once i got out on my medical um i actually started fighting the va at that point for a lot of my disabilities that i got discharged for um but all in all it took me about 15 years uh, to get to 100 percent rating which is what i'm at now Um, the ironic part is i still have four open board appeals and i just won my court of veterans appeals at at the cbac court so now that's back at the bva um, you know, it's all about that back pay, right? And the right strategy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately for me, it, you know, I, I did it, tried doing it myself, and it, uh, took me 15 years and I lost over, you know, close to $576,000 I missed out on. It. Um, so oh. a little rough. Uh, I, I kick myself in the, in the, in the feet or in the butt every time. But then again, Brian wasn't around in '05, So
0: sorry, but, uh, Sorry. In fact, in '05, I uh, I hadn't even I hadn't even joined active duty yet. I mean, granted, I guess I was I was considered active duty and training, um, so to speak. So inactive in training as a cadet. But um, Rob, thank you, thank you for sharing that. By the way, and thank you for your service. Uh, out of out of curiosity, can you just let us know how long did those appeals to the board? Take to be adjudicated. The one, the one that did get adjudicated, and then where are you at timeline-wise of the ones that are still pending?
1: So, on my very first board of <clears throat> board appeal, I actually it was for my obstructive sleep apnea, mm-hmm. um, and actually when I submitted it uh, with the claims and the arguments I used because I I used the laws and the regulations, they actually approved it within thirty days and service connected me. Um, That that was the quickest one I've ever been in. Wow. Uh, My other boards typically, because I do direct docket appeals, so I don't do the conferences. I don't do additional evidence. Um, Those They're averaging for me, it's it's usually around the six to eight month mark uh, for the BBA to adjudicate them. Um, And then for my CBAC court case, uh, I actually started it in uh, January of this year. Um, And it just closed out last month and it just got assigned to a veteran judge this month. Okay.
0: So I'll, I'll tell you though, man, that's, that's progress. I mean, for real, there, there's, there's vets who have been waiting five, six, seven, eight years um, who, you know, are waiting for a judge. And so, you know, maybe, can you just share a couple tips of maybe what is your strategy if, if you've tried the higher level review or supplemental or, or regardless, what is your strategy for how you approach the board for a denied claim? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I've learned over my 15 years of denials and refiling is you want to make sure you've got the right evidence first. Right. And yeah. so you want to make sure you've got that independent medical opinion with a nexus statement saying it is service connected or not. Right. Um, and then if it's denied, then when I when I go to the board, and, and even on HLRs, I don't do the phone conference because it puts you in a queue, which is gonna drag out your appeal process, right? So I just say, here's my legal argument, here's the CFRs I'm quoting, and here's why I'm service connected based off my IMO. So I always tie it back to my IMO that I have, and, use that to argue the B A decision letter and i do the same thing on bba appeals but i on bba i do direct docket appeal and that's the biggest thing that's going to speed up your appeal process is doing that direct docket and submitting a word document saying here's my argument because that's not considered new evidence it's considered your legal and administrative argument so you so you can submit a word document with quoting your imo and the rules and regulations and then submit that. So that's always been my strategy with it. But the, the biggest thing a lot of vets miss out on is mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to do a board or an HLR appeal, and they're they're relying on the BAC&P examiner. And nine times out of ten, you can't really do that because they're saying it's not service-connected. So you don't really have much of a leg to stand on on an appeal.
0: What What fantastic advice. Okay, by the way, none of this was scripted. None of this plan, we, we just teased this out on the fly. Um, Rob, Rob's not an attorney, by the way. I'm not an attorney. Um, but what I think he's describing here, I mean, that's, dude, that is like total value bombs dropping everywhere. And he just shared with you some real world personal experience, whether you want to work with an attorney or not, that's up to you, right? An accredited attorney or accredited agent. To represent you that's that's up to you that's your choice um what rob is telling you though is he's done this himself right he's he's done this himself and it's a combination of weaving the medical evidence into the legal argument okay it's it's twofold i'm going to say that again he's talking about his appeals right now and then then we'll get to gerd but what he's describing is a combination of the medical evidence, you have to have that first, in tandem with the legal arguments. Okay. And by the way, fellow vets, I believe this is why the VA and the CNP examiners often get it wrong. Okay. Now I'm I'm gonna actually actually defend them for a second. Okay. I don't want anyone to throw anything at me. I don't want anybody yell cray cray on me. Okay. I'm going to defend for a second the C&P examiners and the VA Raiders, okay? Because I'm I'm not a hater, I'm a lover, okay? I'm pretty squishy. I joined the Air Force. I ain't Army or Marines. I'm a lover, okay? I'm kind of kind of fluffy like a pillow. All right. The C&P examiners are trained and certified and educated and credentialed in medicine okay or or at least they should be okay <clears throat> in medicine they are used to dealing with something called medical certainty okay now you can you can google that later if you want okay medical certainty is a far different standard than is required by VA disability compensation okay medical certainty is not the standard in a VA disability compensation claim. Okay, but again, that's part of the disconnect. Our C&P examiners are trained and certified and credentialed and educated in medical certainty. And so sometimes when they don't feel certain, right, that something is at least as likely as not due to your service or due to another service-connected disability, they will check the less likely than not box okay again medical certainty principles do not apply it's a medical opinion based upon the probative medical evidence of record the positive evidence for the positive evidence against okay but again the doctors aren't lawyers and they're used to doing uh, principles of medical certainty flash forward to the the va raiders okay va raiders are just like you and me And just like Rob and I, okay, many of them are fellow service disabled veterans. They're not doctors, they're not lawyers, but they've had to go through a crash course in medical and legal jargon, okay? And guess what? They get it wrong. There's a lot of gray area here. There's human error, there's mistakes, And if you're not a trained and certified doctor, it's no wonder that the VA raters rely so heavily on the compensation and pension examiner's notes. They weren't there to do the exam and and they're not trained and certified medical professionals. They're also not attorneys, okay? They're not trained and certified in the interpretations of 38 CFR. And some of those things can be confusing. There's gray areas. Okay, So, again, uh, I'm, I'm simply letting you all know here that there's a reason why this process is hard, right? Because we've, we've made it hard, right? Bureaucracy has made it confusing and difficult, and there's lots of human error. <clears throat> but what Rob just told you is he's kind of said, wait a second. There's a way to punch back here, and the way is – I'm not going to let the C&P examiner control my outcome, okay? At the same time, I'm not going to let the VA rater determine based upon their own maybe opinion that isn't grounded in case law precedent or the medical evidence of record. I'm also not going to give them the the full decision-making power. I, Rob Nichols, am going to maintain control of that and I'm gonna defend myself and I'm gonna weave the medical evidence, diagnosis, nexus, and symptoms into a written narrative to include case law and precedent. And I'm gonna argue on my own behalf. Well, I don't know, Rob, it took 15 years, but here you sit at
1: 100%. Yep, absolutely. And the nice thing is, You know like i said i still have four open bva cases um but if i won those i get in my eyes it's it's that protecting of my rating right so if in the future one of my other ratings get decreased this these new claims will actually help protect that rating and keep me at 100 but the bigger thing is i win my back pay and, and that's a huge win for me
0: um, that's fantastic Good, man, good for you! And again, thank you for thank you for letting us go off on this little tangent to talk about this. But I'm telling y'all, fellow vets, there were some there were some real value bombs just dropped in that five minute conversation. Okay. Um, so, by the way, if you're live on Facebook, this video is going to be up on YouTube. So, if you're watching the recording on YouTube or the recording on Facebook later, um, welcome to you as well. Feel free to pause and go back to re-listen to what we just talked about um, if you need to take some notes. So, um, okay, Rob, again, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for your service. Um, Fellow vets, before I talk about GERD, before Rob uh, drops more value bombs about GERD, 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 GERD is the word today, um, I want to recognize you. Okay, Rob wants to recognize you. Eric, the Bearded Vet, who's behind the scenes helping us wants to recognize you. All of our teammates who are on live, we want to recognize you, okay? So what I want you to do is if you're watching or hearing us right now live on Facebook or you're watching the recording on YouTube, go to the comment section and I want you to just give us a shout out, okay? Where you're dialing in from? Uh, what branch of service? Hey, Greg Fort Worth, Army 88 to 90. Welcome, give us a shout out. Tell us your uh, your years of service, your branch of service. Um, I'm still waiting for somebody to say they were in the, in the Space Force. Uh don't have that yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony, go uh, Rob. Yeah. Oh, that's my mentor. That's awesome. Welcome, Tony. Really I'm good. glad you're with us, by the way. Hey, Samantha. Aloha from Utah. Awesome. Ed Jones from Cashiers, North Carolina. Man, we got a tight race going on right now, in North Carolina. We'll see what happens. Hey, Nicole from El Paso, Texas.
1: I love El Paso.
0: Love it. I can't wait to move back. <laughs> hey, Rusty. North Carolina. I know who you voted for. <laughs> it's awesome. Welcome. Hey, Robert. Wendell, man, we got a lot of North Carolina on today. Which So this is interesting, though, right? North Carolina is one of the most veteran-friendly states by far. You got you got a you got a handful that are real veteran friendly. North Carolina, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Pennsylvania, California. Um, super veteran friendly states. Hey James, hey Joseph. Uh, calling in from Belgium. That's awesome. 28-year army. Hey, Mario. Howdy from South Texas. Welcome. Hey, Ed. Rockman, dear boy, Michigan. USMC. Love it, man. Oh man, remember Sean Connery, US Coast Guard. Hey, you're about to retire. Thank you for your service. Congratulations on the retirement. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Aaron, space force. space force. Dude, I didn't know that. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> hey, Tiffany. Got all excited. <laughs> Katie, Texas. One of my good buddies is uh, Space Force, by the way. He's, uh, he's active duty. He just sent some photos out this morning. Hey, Nathaniel. Jeffrey, you guys helped me get from 20 to 80. That's awesome. USMC, 92 to 98. Thanks for your service. Albert Lopez. Hey, Albert. San Antonio, Army, 1992. Thank you for your service, brother. Hey, Gary. US Army, 76 to 04 from Georgia. Man, thank you for your service. Love that photo, U.S. Army retired. Hey, Daniel, Navy, 2008 to 2019. Hey, Michael, calling in from Dallas, (laughs) Texas. Yeah. New Braunfels. Steve, I love New Braunfels. I used to live in uh, Cibolo. I used to scoot up to New Braunfels. Hey, Steve. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for your service. This is awesome. Again, we, we always love to do this and recognize fellow vets.
1: Uh oh, Michael.
0: Hey, Roscoe. Cool. Awesome. Thank you again, fellow vets. And by the way, keep, keep posting. If you're watching the recording afterwards on Facebook or YouTube, um, scroll down, there's some resources, uh, in the description. If you scroll down to the very bottom, you can keep commenting, mm-hmm. uh, and you can ask questions throughout. Um, thanks to our teammates who are on, helping out too. And, and hopefully you can answer some questions as we scoot along here today. So, All right, Uh, let's jump into this though. We're talking about how to get a 60% VA disability rating for GERD, okay? GERD stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. It's kind of a doozy, took me a long time to figure out how to say it. We just call it GERD. We love our acronyms in the military. We're also gonna talk about IBS, which stands for irritable bowel syndrome. Okay, IBS. So we're talking about digestive system uh, issues and conditions today. Um, So I I wanna talk first though about three very important things, okay? If you think you might have GERD or IBS, you need to get your butt to the doctor, okay? Because you have to have a medical diagnosis. That's, That's the first thing that I want you to take from today's video. If you've got acid reflux, Gerd, heartburn, stomach indigestion, pain—it's causing you issues. You may or may not pop tums or acid reflux medications all day long. You may or may not be taking a prescription already, like a okay, which is the the knockoff of Prilosec. Maybe you actually get OTC a or Prilosec over the counter. You can get that stuff now at Walgreens, CVS, and just about anywhere, okay. If you're taking those things, you probably have GERD or IBS, but you need to confirm in either service treatment records, VA medical records, or any private records that you actually have a medical diagnosis. And if you don't, but you have those symptoms, get your butt to the doctor, okay? That's the first thing. You have to have the medical diagnosis. It's not, a, it's not enough to just have subjective symptoms or to write a personal statement and say, I think I have GERD. You need a diagnosis. That's the first part. The second part is what's legally referred to as the nexus, okay? Nexus simply means link or connection. I like to use both because I think they make a lot of sense. Something happened and now this happened. A led to B. Okay. That link between A and B, that connection between A and B, is what's called the nexus. So raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. If you've ever logged in to your eBenefits account or your VA.gov account, eBenefits is a little bit easier. And you look on the left-hand side of the screen after you've logged in and you click that button that says disabilities. It's on the left-hand side of the screen in a tab. Okay, And it opens up and it shows you your combined disability rating and this cute little circle at the top. And then it lists your disability conditions, the percentage, whether it's service connected or not, and uh, your effective date, okay? How many of you does it say not service connected? Okay, probably everybody on this call today. I have yet to talk to a veteran who said, yeah, I filed for 17 conditions and all 17 came back service connected. Hasn't happened. Not once. Maybe maybe that unicorn is out there, um, but I haven't met him or her. Okay. So again, if you log into eBenefits, your own eBenefits account, you click that disabilities tab and you look, if you see conditions that say not service connected that's what the VA is telling you, is they couldn't determine there was a clear nexus on an at least as likely as not basis, 50-50, that that condition was either due to your service or due to another service-connected disability. But there's a way out, and it's called an independent medical opinion, AKA a medical nexus letter. And Rob's, Rob's talked about that a little bit already, of the importance of the medical evidence. Okay. So you got to have a nexus, clear nexus. That's number two. This is, this is why I'm going to tell you three, three things today, right? <laughs> okay, so three, three things though, for real, I can't count. Again, I've been hit in the head many times. Diagnosis is number one. Nexus for service connection is number two. And three, symptoms, current symptoms. We call it severity of symptoms here at VA Claims Insider. And what that really means is you need to explain to the compensation pension examiner, the VA rater in plain English, how that disability condition is limiting or affecting your life in a negative way, okay? Does it affect your work? Does it affect your life? Does it affect your relationships, your social functioning? Um, It's imperative to talk about those things because ultimately the severity of your symptoms is what determines your overall VA rating percentage for that condition. Okay. Rob, is there anything specifically though that you'd like to talk about regarding GERD and IBS here that, you know, might be considered a little more expert level here for some folks on this call uh, about how maybe they get GERD service-connected. Um, or get an increase?
1: So the first thing is, is you, you've got to have a diagnosis, right? So yeah, like for me, I've, I've got a diagnosis of GERD. I'm on a yeah. Um, But when I initially filed my claim and got not service-connected, um, it was because I didn't have an IMO, right? Um, so I was just relying on the VA doctors to say, yep, we agree it's secondary to meds. Here's the funny thing. The examiner even said, you need to come off your ibuprofen and your NSAIDs. But still, an answer was connected, right? So, so that forced me to turn around and go get me an an IMO, and now I've refiled for it. Um, but the big thing is, is if once you're if you're looking at trying to get that higher rating at a 60%, mm-hmm. there's certain re- requirements you have to get, right? So the first thing you're going to want to do, in addition to getting a diagnosis is you want to ask your doctor to get you to the ENT clinic, your nose and throat doctor, yep. and you want them to do an endoscopy, I think is, I can't even pronounce that word, I'm sorry. Basically, they put a scope down your throat. They're going to go down and look at your LESS, and your LESS is the lower esophageal sphincter. It's, it's what opens up and closes with, that keeps the acid from going back into your throat, right? Right. And what's going to get you? And what they're going to see from that scope is they're going to see: is there any scarring? Is there any damage to your, your throat? How bad badly damaged is your less? Is it fully open? Is it partially open? And that's going to actually help you justify getting that sixty percent rating, right? Um, in addition to that, you know, you want to be able to show and and report to your doctors or in the IMO, you're going to want to make sure you hit on the points of. Do you have significant weight loss? We're not talking about five or 10 pounds, right? We're talking about, did you did you get more than 10 pounds less? And and is it consistent? Do you have blood in your vomit or in your feces, right? Um, yeah. Do you have anemia um, or other symptoms that cause an overall health disability? So an example of that would be, say, you have Lou Barrett's, right, in your throat. That's another serious uh health disability. And that's what really gets you at that 60% rating.
0: Wow. Value bombs there. And and I think, again, Rob, what you're talking about are the symptoms and, and there's, you know, you can either try to prove your symptoms subjectively, right? Meaning it's, it's your word against theirs, or you can, you can try objectively in our opinion, anytime you can get more of objective medical evidence of record that's a great thing because now you have formal documentation folks um that you can take in it's uploaded in support of your claim given to your compensation and pension examiner showing to the va rater hey this vet just had a full endo here's here's the scarring the damage this dude or, or gal has had reflux for years There's significant objective damage here, okay? The other thing is we want you to take care of yourself, okay? So this goes beyond your VA disability claim in that we want you to get help. And maybe you do need to see a specialist about your digestive system issues. Maybe you know you got a lot of stuff going on, but you're not exactly sure what it's from or what caused it or the severity there are surgical procedures that might be able to help with your GERD and IBS. I'm, I'm not advocating for that, by the way. I'm simply saying there are procedures out there. There might be some different medications that could help you or benefit you over and above, maybe just an over the counter Prilosec, okay? Um, and by the way, Rob, thank you for sharing your personal story about GERD. I want to share just uh, just a little bit about my my personal story with GERD uh, to share that with y'all. So I also have suffered from severe GERD for a long time. Uh, I commissioned in 2007. That's when I left cadet status and actually, you know, joined the real Air Force. And starting in about 2008 is when I started having GERD, right, acid reflux. And I remember as a you know young lieutenant, not a not trained in medical stuff. Didn't want to look weak, didn't want to go to the doctor, didn't want a medical diagnosis. Well, I just tried to deal with it myself. I remember taking bottles of Tums, literally. I, like you wouldn't find Brian Reese anywhere without access to Tums. Okay. It, they were in my car, they were in my desk drawer, they were at home, they were in every bathroom. I mean, it was like, I mean, I was popping those things like freaking candy okay because of the GERD so finally things got bad enough in 2008 2009 that when I went in to see my primary care provider I, I said look you know I, I'm I'm having major heartburn indigestion I'm throwing up I don't know what's going on can you help me well we spoke about it a little bit and we teased out that one of the, causes, the ideologies or origins of GERD and acid reflux and IBS are things like stress from your job, things like mental health conditions, specifically the side effects of medications can cause GERD and IBS and digestive system issues. At that time, unbeknownst to, to many people, I was extremely stressed at work. And I've always been or tried to be a a high performer. And I mean, this was during a period of time where I was getting to work sometimes between 1230 and 230 in the morning. Because what I figured out is if I didn't get there during that time, my day was gone. Right. Troops needed help. People on my teams needed things, was involved in lots of different issues. So I was actually going to bed between 8 and 9 p.m. and waking up between 12.30 and and 2.30 in the morning to to be at work. Well, during that stressful period is when this severe GERD developed, okay? Uh, I started off 20 milligrams of Omeprazole. That's recently been increased to 40 milligrams once a day. So, I mean, again, this, this unfortunately isn't a condition that goes away. A lot of times it gets worse as you age. Okay. So that's another reason why we want you to go in and get help. Now, Rob touched on a couple of things. In addition to the diagnosis, it's that nexus, meaning how are you going to service connect your GERD or your IBS? There's two primary ways, I think, Rob, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It would be direct service connection, which in the example I gave, stress from work, developed while on active duty, had a diagnosis in my service treatment records, began treatment of GERD while on active duty. That's direct service connection, okay? My GERD was directly due to my active duty military service. Conversely, maybe these symptoms started for you on active duty, but you never went into the doctor. You never got a diagnosis. You never got a documented. Maybe you had some of these symptoms, but your service made it worse. Maybe you developed GERD or IBS as a result of other service-connected disabilities in your body, things like post-traumatic stress disorder, things like major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. If you're taking SSRIs, antidepressants, or things that you're doing to try to help you with your mental health, very common to have side effects like headache, dry mouth, indigestion, acid reflux, constipation, weight loss, weight gain, right? You, we see a, a myriad of things. Those would be things for secondary service connection. Okay. Now, if you're trying to secondary connect GERD or IBS, in my personal opinion, if you try to do that without a medical nexus letter, aka an independent medical opinion, the chances of that getting service connected are extremely low. Okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on Rob as well. What do you think about kind of those two things, Rob?
1: And and to be honest with you, so one of the things that you also want to consider is. Um, so like for me, I actually have COPD, right? So people who have asthma or COPD or any other respiratory disorder actually have a high risk of GERD as well, right? Not only because of the medications, but because of the chronic irritation that it provides, you know, on our, the, the less, right? That, that little piece of muscle that keeps the acid from going back into your throat. So when, when you're talking about direct service connection, it, you could have been treated for acid reflux and not diagnosed in the military, right? And, and 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 just this is my experience. You're gonna still want an IMO and a Nexus opinion because the military, as everybody knows, and the VA's great at this too. They will treat you for your current issues. They will give you. Motrin,
0: eight hundred milligrams.
1: Motrin. Again, <laughs> you you show up.
0: You show up. Yeah. I, I need. My, I need an amputation. Here's eight hundred milligram Motrin. Yeah. That's what we but do, man. They will
1: never diagnose you or actually do the endoscope. They, you know what I mean. They're just going to treat your symptoms. And so, a lot of times, vets will have entries in their military medical records of being treated for acid reflux. So now you need someone to connect those dots, right? And say your treatment was due to not being diagnosed. And but but here's the diagnosis. And that's what our med teams can do is they, they can get that, that nexus opinion to connect it. So even on a direct service, if you if you don't have a clear diagnosis in your records, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say you need a, a Nexus opinion to to increase your chances of winning. Now on a I, secondary
0: I would agree. I would can I ask a couple more questions about that? Cause I think it's important for anybody who's listening. When you say a diagnosis in somebody's service treatment records, right? Can you explain a little bit more Rob about what is the service treatment record and where would it show a diagnosis? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: So for us, older vets that got out before they went digital, um, it's, it's a you little a harder. Uh, you know, I'm getting a little gray here. Um, but the the military went digital. I think officially, what was it, Brian? Like four years, five years ago, officially they went digital on all records.
0: Yeah, they they started the transition. I think in about 2005, 2006 is going to be about the earliest you'll see. Digital health records from your active duty time. So anything pre that, it's probably going to be in pen and ink and maybe yeah. stacks of paper.
1: So, so for mine, my medical records is over eight thousand pages. Um, oh so I have multiple volumes in my claim file for the VA. So they they really hate me when I spoke appeals and claims. I'm gonna
0: say they love you, man.
1: <laughs> but so so for older vets who it's pen and paper, it's not digital. Um, So like Brian said, in 05, they started the process, but not every branch and every service was fully digitized. So for those of us, it's going to suck, but you've got to go page by page and flip through your medical records. And you're going to want to look, usually on the sheet, it's going to have a a portion or a section on the top saying what your condition is. Mm -hmm. Um, If they don't fill that out, and nine times out of ten, they don't. Usually they're chicken scratching. On mine, they just said, you know, heartburn, a you know, over the counter, prescribed, gone your way. But they never actually diagnosed me with anything. Um, so on those, you would set those sheets of paper aside, right? And we would use that as evidence for the med teams to help service connect it. But for the older vets, that's that's where you would see the diagnosis. They would actually they they would actually say what your condition is, and usually there's a diagnosis code. Now. Again, on the pen and paper ones, there won't be that code because they're handwriting it in. They're usually just saying what it is. Now, for the newer vets that have digitized records, it's great because usually in the first usually it's in the first 12 pages. There's a, a one or two pages that has a list of all of your problems. So everything, anything you were ever seen for, they're gonna list. Now, a lot of people confuse that with a diagnosis. Just because they treated you for GERD and it's listed on that page doesn't mean they diagnosed you with it. So you're gonna wanna go to that part of your medical records, and on the top, it's gonna say, diagnosed with, and then give an ICD code if they diagnosed you. If they didn't diagnose you, it's just gonna say treatment for, and then the condition. So a lot of vets get confused on the two on that because they'll get their medical records and they look at that first couple of pages and they'll see yeah. treated for in 50, 50 issues, and they think they can file claims for all
0: 50. You need to have that diagnosis for GERD. But
1: that's where you would find
0: that on your, your digitized medical records. Awesome, thank you Thank you for sharing that. And, and Vets, by the way, that's, that's one of the top tips that we share here at VA Claims Insider is is you have to go deep in your mel, in your medical records your, your service records, any VA medical records and, or any private treatment records. If you have used outside providers, you've got to know what's in those things. Um, it's, it's almost like, you know, you're not, you're not going to show up on game day, having not studied and prepped for the other team, right? You're, you're not going to let your, your teammates take the field as the head coach, unless you've got a strategy employed for that game. Right. Knowing like, hey, this is what we talked about. This is the video we studied. We went back. We looked at history. We examined what they're going to do on the line. This is this is our strategy for how we're going to win the game. It's the same concept that when you approach the V.A., right, you have to prepare to fight and win. Okay, the plan is nothing. Planning is everything. That's not my quote, by the way. The plan is nothing. Planning is everything. What that means is preparation. What is the success formula to life? Well, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know one thing that helps. Preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Okay, that's Colin Powell. Again, that, that's not me. Right? I ain't smart enough to come up with that stuff. I know what I do, but I'm not smart enough to, to come up with quotes. Okay. That's the success formula. Preparation, hard work, learning from failure. Well, guess what? We got a living breathing example of that person on this call right now, Rob. Yep. Preparation, hard work, learning from failure. The guy fought the VA for 15 years and still isn't finished. Okay? To the never quit attitude
1: and you know what's funny brian is i get jealous sometimes with like my family and friends that i've brought to baci because they'll get they'll get their diagnosis they get their imo and within 30 to 120 days they win their claim and i'm like dude i'm still fighting this stupid claim that i jacked up yeah know,
0: and you're a coach, coach. And i'm a coach dude but again well, we've got people <laughs> yeah learn from my mistakes learn from my mistakes too learn from each other's mistakes. Goodness. Uh, <clears throat> Rob, what Rob is, is telling you here though. And I think it's spot on is don't fight alone, right? I mean, yeah, you, you can fight alone if you want to, but dang, it's, it's lonely to be alone and it's hard. And some, some days you ain't going to want to get up, right? You just, you just got punched in the face and you're bloodied up and you're laying down on the on the mat, sometimes you're gonna need your coach to come over there and, and pick you up off the ground, okay? Sometimes you're gonna need a hug. Sometimes you're gonna need your ass kicked. We're gonna give you both, okay? Sometimes you, you need a kick in the butt to get going. Sometimes you just need a hug. We're gonna give you that too, okay? But it's important that you really start thinking about how are you gonna fight? Okay, you ain't going to want to walk in to the fight not being fully prepared. Again, let me give you another example. And I use sports as analogies all the time, Rob and fellow vets, because I think it makes sense for people. A lot of people either played sports, team sports, individual sports. They follow sports, football, boxing, whatever. Who's ever heard of Floyd Mayweather? Money Mayweather, right? Money. Okay, regardless of what you think about Floyd uh, Money Mayweather, that dude is a preparation training machine. Okay, He's been quoted in the past as saying he never fights a fair fight. And you might kind of think about that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Is he cheating? Right. What do you mean he's not fighting a fair fight? No. What he means is he's so overprepared. He's so overstudied. Why do you think Floyd Money Mayweather is probably the best defensive boxer to ever fight? Overprepared. He knows by the way an opponent stands, by the strength of their right or left, whether they're righty or southpaw, whether they're going to try the uppercut knockout punch, or whether they're gonna sit back and play the long game. He knows by studying film and working with coaches and over-preparing for that fight, he knows the move before they even get in the ring, okay? So he makes those quotes about saying things like, I ain't never fought a fair fight. I don't even know what that means, okay? Well, there's, there's a reason why he's probably one of the best boxers in history. And the same could be said about dynasties across sports, legends, uh, folks like Michael Jordan, King James. I ain't going to be on here debating the GOAT here, right? But Tom Brady. There's a reason why some of those men and women are at the absolute top of their game. It's preparation. Okay. Now, do you have to be a professional athlete to win your VA disability claim? No, okay, I ain't a professional athlete. Do you need to be up at two in the morning studying CFR 38 to win your VA claim? No, you don't, okay? But I use some of these analogies because I don't even want you to fight a fair fight with the VA. I want you to have the advantage, meaning you're fully prepared, you've got the medical evidence of record, You understand your conditions and your symptoms and you're as calm as you can be given the circumstances. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, Rob. I've been to about eight or 10 different compensation and pension exams over the past eight years. I've never had a single one that made me feel comfortable. Not one. Never walked in to a single C&P exam and said, oh yeah, this makes me feel good. Why? Because number one, I'm a veteran and I don't trust people, okay? Number two, this person who I've never met is the gatekeeper of federal benefits that I deserve by law. And you walk into these exams and unfortunately, unfreaking fortunately, many of these examiners take this approach of, here comes another lion vet, okay? Shameful shameful. Most veterans don't even know how to talk about their symptoms, right? Most veterans don't even want to tell their loved ones about their conditions or their symptoms. Do you think they're going to come in and tell you a stranger off the street who's the gatekeeper between them and their benefits? No. Okay. Rob, what are your thoughts? C&P exams.
1: So, CMP exam. So, I, I've been to more than 20. I, I stopped counting oh after God. 20. <laughs> but for there was actually, and this was early on, um, I went to a CMP exam and I walked out smiling. I was like, I nailed it. I got this. I hit my symptoms. I talked about service connection. And then I get the denial letter. And I'm like, wait a minute, this guy made me think and he, in in the conversation, agreed with me. He said yes to everything. Yes, it's all service connected. I walk out and I got a denial letter. And and that was kind of my eye opener, Brian, on you can't, if you're walking out thinking it went good, something probably isn't good. Um, So that's where I've learned, you know, after your exams, you know, keep track of what, what actually happened. But yeah, you've got to go in and you got to fight for yourself because no one's going to look after you except for you, unless you join Elite. And then now you've got a coach who's going to help
0: look out for you, too. Yeah. Yeah. You've got somebody that you can fight with. And, and what Rob just described, too, is it's lonely. It's hard. It's confusing. It's frustrating. And, you know, when when those are benefits that you deserve by law for your honorable service, sometimes I think it's it's shameful that you have to fight for them. Um, it's shameful that you have to win them, right? Because they're yours. And, you know, I've had, I've had some vets in the past, Rob, they get, they get kind of butt hurt, you know, well, you don't win a claim, you know, you either have the condition or you don't, right? You either have the service connection or you don't. You either have the symptoms or you don't. Okay, in a, in a perfect world, great point. Right. Well, we ain't in a perfect world. Last time I checked. And there's a lot of human error here. There's a lot of hard feelings for and against. There's some people who love the disability system to help veterans. And there's some people who hate it. And see, Brian, I,
1: Just to tag in real quick. So yeah. the big thing with that is, it, so in a perfect world, if that was the case, the VA wouldn't have to have an appeal process. They wouldn't have <laughs> to have a appeal yeah. <laughs> process. You wouldn't have to go to a court. You know, I I went in, I've got diagnoses, I've got treatment, and I still was denied all the way. It, it took a federal court to tell the VA and the BBA, you guys didn't follow the law, re-adjudicate his claim. So, I, you know, in a perfect world, you're right, Brian, it, it works great. But at the end of the day, you do have to win your claim yeah. because VA, they're human and they they mess up. And a lot of times yeah. they don't know what they're talking
0: about. Yeah. One Rob, one thing I wanted to address too is I've I've had vets uh, who have who have asked, hey, I'm already at a hundred percent, you know, should I should I just stop? You know, or or I'm already at a hundred percent P T, should I just quit? Right? And look, I I have a personal opinion answer for that. And everybody's different. Okay. I, I'm never gonna tell somebody that I think you should go for benefits if they don't want to do it. Right. I can't make anybody go get benefits. I could suggest it. I could ask questions. I could help coach them to understand these are benefits you deserve by law. But ultimately, if somebody doesn't want to do it, they're not going to do it. And that's okay. Okay. The same goes for the 100% ratings or the folks who go, well, now I'm 100% P&T, so I should quit, right? Or I'm already 100%. I don't want to do anything because the VA might lower my rating. Okay, well, they might do that anyway. So would you rather be proactive or reactive? Would you rather go on offense and punch somebody in the nose or do you want to lay back and wait for you to get punched in the nose, right? Well, I I personally think the best defense is a great offense, but that's that's just me. Um, what I would suggest though, for a lot of veterans is there's closure. Okay. There can be a sense of justice and affirmation that you're not a liar, that you're actually a good human being telling the truth. And so if you've had claims denied in the past and you know you're you're kind of like well crap now i just quit or they call me a liar or i'm already 100% so i'm not going to worry about the one they did deny look if if you believe you deserve to have that condition service connected by law i personally think you should continue fighting for justice because that's what's right okay again that's my personal opinion i don't know what you think about that rob
1: so Hey, and this is where I guess my personal opinion is almost the same as Brian's. There's a little different reasoning for it for me. Sure. Um, a lot of people don't realize that there's actually VA protections, right? So if if I'm rated at 100%, right, and the VA wants to reevaluate my PTSD and they wanted to decrease it down to 30 So that may affect me being at 100% now, right? Because now I'm losing a high-value claim or a high-value rating, and now it's going to turn into a low-value rating, which is going to affect my overall rating with the VA. So if I go after, so like right now, I'm 100% already, but I'm still going for, you know, my acid reflux. I'm still going for, you know, my PTSD increase. I'm still going for my radiculopathy claim. Um, that's still not service connected and and a handful of other things. For me, the reason I'm doing that is because it's, I call it, you're protecting your rating, right? Hmm. Because one, it's not only a sense of justice that, Hey, the BA is finally recognizing that I have this disability that I said I had, but it's also a protection for me as well. Because Hmm. if the BA tries to ever, or say one of my conditions get better, which If it gets better, the VA is going to reduce my rating, right? So, say stop having headaches all the time, they may bump me down to ten percent. I don't want to have to worry about losing my hundred percent rating, right? So now I know my radiculopathy claim is going to make up for that difference that they're lowering on my headaches because I'm no longer at that severity level. And that's what a lot of vets forget: if your condition, medical conditions, can get better, and if they do. They can show it; they're going to reduce those ratings, or they're going to try
0: to reduce that rating, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you do yeah, that, one, I'm one quick, to you. quick point on that, Look. Rob: if if a condition gets better, the right thing to do here is you should have your rating lowered. Yep. Okay, absolutely. That's that's the way the system works. There's checks and balances here. You shouldn't ever get something you don't deserve. What Rob is saying, though, as well is what, what we do know, okay? Here's what we know medically. The chances of conditions getting better as you age, <laughs> I, I, debatable, yeah. okay? Debatable, and it, well, think about it, right? You, you have to apply some logic, number one, and you have to apply basic medical principles here. You get older, your body breaks down. Your hearing goes. You grow hair in weird places. I'm already starting to have some of that happen. I just plucked a couple strands out of my ear the other day. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Right? You shrink. You got spinal cord issues. Your aches and pains get worse. It's harder to get out of bed. Okay? It ain't any easier to lose weight. I'll tell you that much. Not in, not in my situation as I've aged. Okay? Why? Because my physical activity decreased. Why? Because of my service-connected disabilities. Why? Because of my severe heel plane in both feet, okay? Why? Because I used to run all the time and now I can't do that. So, so look, the chances of your disability conditions getting better as you age, I seriously question that narrative, okay? Now, maybe they do, and if they do, the VA should take it away. Or take it back or lower your rating. That's called the right thing to do. Okay, that's integrity. What Rob just outlined, though, is another reason to keep pursuing your conditions because yeah, maybe your GERD does get better, or you you do have the health surgery to fix you and you're all good to go. Okay. But you still want to maintain the benefit level that you deserve by law. Well, other conditions may get worse over time. Okay, which speaking of, that's the reason why I think all US military members and even veterans should file for their VA disability benefits. Because you may come back with a 0% service connected rating today. Okay, 15 years from now, maybe your conditions are worse. Maybe your conditions are life-threatening. That 0%, you're now hospitalized for a cardiac condition that requires a heart transplant. I want you to have the medical benefits and I want you to have the disability benefits you deserve for you and your family. It is infinitely harder to prove service connection as more time goes by, yeah.
1: Okay. And once your service connected, that's the hardest part. Filing for an increase, that's the easier part.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Great, great examples, Rob. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, okay, so look, I, we've we've talked a lot about GERD. I do want to talk about IBS real real fast in this this concept of pyramiding. The VA is not supposed to allow you to have separate GERD and IBS ratings at the same time, unless you could clearly differentiate the symptoms attributable to each. And I think medically that's difficult to do. So if you already have a rating for GERD and your symptoms are worse, just go for an increase in the GERD that's already service connected versus trying to also add in IBS. And that, that would be my recommendation there. Um, how do you do that? You can log into your own VA.gov account. You could open, start a new compensation claim today. Start going through your file. You can literally say increase on your GERD. Why do you think it's worse? Write this. Yeah, you could still get documentation from a private provider um, or the med team, right, which we, we provide reduced rate access to medical providers if you're a member of our programs. Um, documentation of symptoms and how they're worse. You can also write a personal statement, VA Form 21-4138, to talk about your current symptoms. How are they worse? What are your symptoms? How are they negatively impacting you? Right? Hey, I'm having trouble sleeping because of my severe GERD. I've had to increase my medications twice, right? I've I've got blood in my vomit or my stool. I've got pain, shooting pain up and down my arms and legs. I mean, again, these are all very real symptoms that I just described, and, and you may or may not have them. I don't know. But if you do, you need to document them, okay, and then go for that increase. Okay. Yep. Before we before we hit the questions, Rob, for any fellow vets who are still on, um, happy to take a few questions. Again, if you're watching the recording on either Facebook or YouTube, welcome to you as well. Um, Rob, is there anything else, uh, any other maybe value bombs or, or little nuggets that you want to leave anybody with today?
1: Um, just to kind of tack on to the personal statements. Um, sure. Personally, I prefer doing sworn declarations. And the nice thing is about being an elite member, we actually have templates that will walk you through how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but those actually carry a lot more weight than a personal statement, you know, because personal statements say, to my best of my knowledge and belief, mm-hmm. hey, you know, if I tell Brian, hey, to the best of my knowledge and belief, I, I think you owe me five bucks, he might be like, eh, no. but in a sworn declaration, it's I'm saying, look, this is what it is under a penalty of perjury, which holds more weight. And the nice thing is we've got the templates that you can use to fill that out. And that does carry a lot more weight than a personal statement. Um,
0: that's, a, that's, a, that's a very interesting, I'm really glad you brought this up, Rob, because we haven't talked about that in a while. And what he's really described is legal language that you're authorized to write on your own behalf, or a buddy. A witness, a, te- a spouse, a pastor, a coworker, a boss, a fellow disabled vet, somebody you served with—they can write what's called a sworn declaration. You can Google that term; it's a it's a legal term. But he just he nailed it. The difference between the statement in support of a claim or just a, a general personal statement and a sworn statement, like a sworn declaration is the legal teeth, the power behind what you're saying, okay? Now, again, let me caution you, to the best of your knowledge and belief is a different legal standard than under penalty of perjury. When you declare under penalty of perjury, you're basically saying, look, everything I put in here is so damn true that if it's false, you can send me to jail, okay? So the point being, if you don't know for sure you should use to the best of your knowledge and belief. Okay, that, that would be my litmus test. And so let me, let me share what I mean by that. Let's say Rob and I served together in the Air Force. Okay, we, we did serve together in the Air Force, just not together in the Air Force, right? We weren't in the same unit, we never crossed paths on active duty. But let's say we did. Let's say we were deployed together and Rob is seeking service connection for PTSD And he describes some IDF rocket incidents that occurred on his base. Okay. Well, let's say I knew about those incidents. I lived on the same post. I knew we got rocketed all the time. But for whatever reason, let's say I wasn't there in that exact location during that time, I wasn't a firsthand witness. I was off, you know, maybe I choppered out somewhere else. And Rob asked me to write a buddy letter to confirm or validate those rocket attacks and the stressor event in the combat incident that occurred, okay? I would never in that example, write a sworn declaration, okay? Because I wasn't there. I don't know for sure. I heard about it, I saw the reports, but I wasn't a firsthand witness. So in that case, I would write a statement in support of a claim and I would suggest and say, to the best of my knowledge and belief, I was on post with. We were there. We got rocketed all the time, every other day. You know, this particular incident I didn't witness, but I know Rob was there. He went through it. I know that this happened to him later because I spoke with his boss. Here's how it affected him. Here's how he's it's limiting his life today. Okay. But again, I'm not going to declare under penalty of perjury in that situation. Because I can't say with that level of legal teeth with 100 percent certainty that that occurred under penalty of perjury. So I hope that example kind of makes sense um, to help you kind of tease out when uh, you might consider the sworn declaration versus uh, when you're just going to do a statement in support of a claim. But I fully agree more legal teeth, uh, anything you can do to to up the ante and and improve your disability conditions. Um, It's going to help you, right? Beneficial. Awesome. Thank you for for dropping that nugget. Let's take a few questions before we break today. Here we go. Chris, thank you. Go ahead, Rob. So how do I... in In case anybody's listening.
1: Sure. So Chris asks, how do I get a diagnosis for GERD? And what do I say or ask my doctor for them to write it down for evidence? Um, so to get a diagnosis for GERD, you're going to want to go see your your doctor and get some treatment. right? Let them know what your symptoms are. Are you having heartburn? Are you having regurgitation? Are you having the do you think it's blood or vomit or blood in your vomit or in your stool? You want to go over all that. They're going to evaluate you, and they may send you to go to an endoscope. right? Mm-hmm to validate um, whether or not you have CURD, or they might just start you off on some GERD medication or a heartburn medication like a Meprazole and then send you to an endo later. Um, but you're gonna wanna go see your primary care, whoever your doctor is, yeah. and you wanna let them know your symptoms so that they can start treating you. Um, once they start treating you, most doctors are gonna diagnose you for it, um, especially if it's in the private world, if it's a BA, you can see it on your VA problem list. If it if it's not listed there, send a message to your private provider and say, "Hey, you're treating me for GERD. Can you add it to my problem list? Which will which that'll make it a diagnosis." Um, hope that answers your question. Well,
0: great, great, great tip there too. Is yeah, you you just got to go in and be honest, Chris. I mean, you gotta you gotta describe what's going on with you, and the goal is to hopefully get you something that'll help you out which you know, might be a omeprazole, it might be sending you to a specialist. Um, but yeah, start that process of treatment to get help. And then right inherently, the diagnosis will likely follow. Yep.
1: Mark, exposed to burn pits in Iraq from 07 and 09, does that affect GERD? Absolutely, it could affect GERD. Um, but now this is where you need to actually again go back to your provider and make sure you've got that diagnosis right and then this is where more so the presumptives kind of come in a little bit regarding burn fits now they're still working that out as far as burn fits and whether or not they're going to connect that to something like GERD on on, on the clarifying presumptive list that, that's published but the va is recognizing that so like for me i worked the burn pits when i was in iraq uh, that's what caused my COPD, and my GERD is actually tied to my asthma and my COPD meds plus my NZ medication. So so yes, the burn pits can affect that, especially if you have respiratory issues. So big thing is, make sure you get diagnosed and you have it in your medical records, and then that's where our med teams actually would write your nexus letters to connect those dots and give that nexus opinion that you would use to turn around and for your
0: client
1: great question great
0: response yeah i mean some of that i think is almost like gulf war slash burn pit exposure i'm telling you burn pits are the agent orange of our generation and thank god we've advocated our vso orgs have advocated on the hill and legislators are pushing bills through to recognize burn pits and the conditions that can come from those things. Uh, But we gotta keep fighting, right? We we ain't there yet. And we gotta keep fighting and calling our elected officials um, to get burn pits on the presumptive list and the conditions related to those. Alexander. so a while back, I was told to have a nexus letter and DBQs for my claim. My question is, are DBQs not in play anymore? Oh sure, so okay. The VA announced a while back that public use DBQs are no longer available publicly. Okay, now there's a whole bunch of reasons I think for that. Uh, One of them was the updates that are required to the DBQ forms because they're official forms, right? So they got to go through OPF for approval. The amount of updates and time that were required of those forms, there were 71 conditions public facing, that was part of it. The other part of it was, I think the VA didn't like the fact that there were private providers or companies or organizations that were providing DBQs to veterans for a fee, right? Well, look, I got news for you, okay? I haven't been to many medical providers in my life who were willing to treat me for free. Okay. In fact, I haven't been to a single one who saw me for free. Okay. So a medical provider is not going to give you an exam and provide you with exam notes without payment. Okay. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know where the logic came from of, well, these organizations are charging fees for DBQs. The doctors charge fees for the examination, the appointment evaluation, the follow-up, the administrivia, and the delivery of your evidence, just like they do in the real world when you go to see them for a cold. Okay? So I, I, don't, I don't understand where that came from. Okay, but the bottom line is it makes zero sense, completely illogical. I personally believe DBQs are going to come back. Public-facing DBQs, I believe, uh, sometime probably in the next six months to 24 months, we're going to see public-facing DBQs back. Part of the reason is local elected officials have re-proposed them to be added to federal law. Okay. So if DBQs get added to federal law and they go to the VA secretary and they say, go do, it's now in a bill. Well, guess what's gonna happen? Public facing DBQs are gonna be back, okay? So for now, they're just on a mini hiatus. To answer your question though, if you have a public facing DBQ or if you got a public facing DBQ completed from a private provider you can absolutely still use that as evidence of record. It still is medical evidence regardless of what form it's on. You could have a doctor give you a diagnosis on a napkin and you could scan the napkin and upload it and say, Dr. John whatever diagnosed me with this on this date at this time. Here's the diagnosis. Here's the ICU. Here's the signature. His printer was broken. He wrote it on a freaking napkin. Okay. Medical Evidence is medical evidence, regardless of the form. Okay. So DBQs are not gone. I believe DBQs are coming back. Final point on DBQs compensation and pension examiners complete an electronic version of that exact same DBQ during your CNP exam. So Not only are DBQs not gone, they're still in play. They're used every single day at medical facilities around the world. They're simply being completed by, by uh, uh, private contracted compensation and pension examiners. Okay, But you can absolutely still use a DBQ with your claim. Medical evidence is medical evidence, regardless of what the VA says, regardless of any previous denials, fight it. Okay, yep. Hopefully that helps. All right, let's do this last question here, um, and then we'll break for today. Again, we'll keep answering your questions even when we're gone. Um, And if you're watching a recording on YouTube, you can keep commenting, and uh, we're gonna try to get to you. So go ahead, Rob, with uh, Salvador.
1: So IBS presumptive to Southwest Asia and Iraq. How does presumptive work? Is it automatic if the veteran is listed as a Gulf War veteran and the VA records? All right, so the, the way IBS works. So let's let's talk about GERD real quick on presumptives. There is no presumptive for, for GERD right now. There is a presumptive for IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. That's the constipation or diarrhea you may get. Um, if you served in Southwest Asia and you had boots on the ground, um, yes, you can get that as a presumptive. But what that means is you file the claim, you still have to have the diagnosis, right? You're still going to have to have the symptoms that are rateable, and you're still going to need a nexus opinion to connect them, right? So where a lot of vets mess up is they think, well, I have IBS. I don't need to get an IMO. I'm diagnosed. Let me just go file for the claim. But you got out of the military 15 years ago. Hey, that, That's a big window you have to kind of close that gap on. So you know with IBS, yes, it is a presumptive, but the way it works is the the raider actually just looks at your case and and the CMP examiner examine're supposed to and say, "Yes, his tour in Southwest Asia could have caused this, but they still have to say why,
0: right? Yeah, say that- one point, one quick point, point here rob and and for anybody hearing about presumptive, okay. Presumptive doesn't mean guaranteed service connection. Not at all. (laughs) Let me be very clear about that. Just because a disability condition is listed in the law as a presumptive condition, meaning you have that condition and you served in the Southwest Asia Theater of Operation during this period, it's on your DD 214. You can clearly show that you were in. Uh, Vietnam, you were part of Blue Water, you you got these Agent Orange exposure due to this, you can show it in your DD-214, look I got the medal, combat action badge, here I was it ain't guaranteed, just because it's on the presumptive list
1: and you still have requirements for presumptives that you still have to meet for the the BA to give you the presumptive All, all they're saying for presumptive is, yes this may have caused it but then you still have to show where you getting in treatment, you know, before or after that situation happened, you know, so there's still certain requirements in addition to presumptive that you need. So like Brian said, just because it's on the presumptive list is not a guarantee you're going to get it. And that's why our IMOs are so important to get, because that's going to strengthen your argument to
0: when you're 100%. Yeah, 100%. All right, again, fellow vets, I appreciate it. We went went a little over today. I'm happy we did, though. Um, thank you, Rob, again for your time. So many value bombs dropped today. I mean, goodness. I, I'm going to go back and watch this recording myself. Um, I always learn something new when when we do these things. I learned some new things about Rob. Um, you know, up level my game, my strategy, everything we do here at VA Claims Insider. We are constantly Pushing and reaching and driving to learn more, to do more, to be more. Why? Because we exist to serve you, right? And we want to be the best. We want to absolutely be the Floyd Mayweathers of VA claims, right? We want to be undefeated. Okay. Now we're not, but we're striving to reach. Okay. We're striving to reach and to be there for you no matter what. No matter how many times you get kicked in the teeth, Punched in the face, right? Struck down from behind, right? What, however, it happens. Like Rob just shared it. He shared sometimes, right? You can get freaking run right over from behind. go into a CNP exam and you think it went well and the examiner understands and sympathizes with you. No, you got played, right? You got played and you're about to get run over by the bus. Okay. It ain't cool. It sucks. Shameful. It shouldn't happen to vets, but it happens every day. Facilities across the world. Um, bottom line is don't ever quit. Whether it takes you 15 years, like Rob shared today, 30 years. I, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. OK. The ball's back in your court. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to roll over and quit? Or are you going to get up and fight back? OK, and that's that's what you got to do. All right. Fellow vets, again, appreciate everything. Um, Thank you so much for everything. Rob, thanks again, brother. I love you, man. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. All right. We'll talk soon.